Hello everybody, happy holidays, merry Christmas and all that. Welcome to episode 17, right, of the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast. I am your host, Jolly Dan, and this is my co-host, uh, Happy Rob. I don't know, I'm trying to make it festive, <laughs> and I'm doing a very shoddy job. Oh, ho, 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 everyone. Ho, ho, ho. Oh yes, this is the Oculi Big Dice podcast where we talk about Dungeons and Dragons and all things TTRPG. Please like and subscribe and check out our, the description below with all our socials to keep up to date with what we're going, what we're going on, what's going on with us. And obviously, make sure you tap that bell to get notifications about when we release new episodes. But we are going to start with a little bit of news, as we so often do. And I wish in this time of year, this was going to be merry news. That we were going to have something to celebrate, to be happy. But Hasbro likes to, quote unquote, fuck its employees. So uh the news isn't great and my heart goes out to all of those people that ha- at at dungeons and at wizards of the coast they're getting laid off just before christmas by hasbro uh that is the news unfortunately is that they uh hasbro are firing a lot of people to make up for the loss in uh, their toys department their toys division not by the way dungeons and dragons which has been doing essentially year over year more and more profits year over year better performance um and apparently it's more like their their was it the stock price or something their whatever's gone up by 40 percent is what i read wow. early before with dungeons and dragons so dungeons and dragons is more popular than it's ever been making more money than it's ever been but of course it's the dungeons and dragons people that are the wizard of the coasts uh the magic and the, and the dungeons and dragons basic people getting fired um not the executives who have clearly made a mess of the their other divisions, well, um, which is quite funny because the new CEO man. only started, I think, last year, year before, I think twenty two, so a year before, or well, we're not even in new year yet, but kind of, you know, I think he's twenty two or something. He's relatively new CEO, um, so he's probably just it, I don't know how how it works, but it's kind of his predecessor's fault, I'm sure, when you if you ask him. But CEO, he's not going to want to take a pay. You tend to find that. Um... New CEO, sort of once they're one or two years into the into mm. the position, they're going to really want to be putting their own mm-hmm. stamp on things. I mean, I won't say where I work for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but we've also had some redundancies, which I always think is an absolute scummy move to do just before Christmas. Mm. Um, it is a ter- so, it's a it's a horrible thing to do, especially yeah. being that uh, in this country we have some sort of legal protections. Um, with regards to what they can do, and unfortunately in the US, those um, those employees aren't covered by the same protections. No. But there's some big, like like some big names from the company being um, let go. Uh, some of them, one of them in particular, I, I name I know of is Mike Merles. Um, he's one of the co-leads for Fifth Edition. Um, he, I think he was like one of the senior guys, had some controversy, so isn't hasn't been. Uh, at the top for a while, um, but he was one of the guys. I think, like alongside like the, the likes of Jeremy Crawford, who were like that instrumental, um, yeah. like a, a lead designer basically. 
he's been let go. There's been community managers from both. I think I think I saw a community manager or something from um, Magic that got that got let go. I know the uh, what, she, what what was her title technically? Content creator for Dungeon for D and D Beyond. The 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 woman that basically took over after the dude left. There was a guy there who moved, and he, I think he works directly with Wizards to the Coast now. He always does the interviews with whenever they do like a new one D and D. Oh yeah. Video, the guy that Todd, Todd something, I can't remember his surname. <laughs> I'm terrible with names apparently when it comes to this podcast. I'm normally, awful with names. you're awful. Normally, I'm awful just apparently when it comes to the podcast. <laughs> you you say Todd, and my brain just goes Howard. Yeah. Now that's all I can think about, and I'm like, no, it's not the Skyrim guy. But essentially, the the woman that they had replace uh i don't know if she was there already but she's the one who's been doing it um i think she's been let go as well um but there's, there's, there's a whole list of people um yeah i assume it's across hasbro entirely but to punish a almost autonomous uh division within your organization like and there's, there's, i remember reading about at some point there was a i don't know if it's an activist or somebody within uh, I'm sure within a, a, a different sphere um, of thought than the usual uh, consumerist nature of, of Hasbro. Um, oh, but um, somebody had tried to get Wizards to spin off, to separate from Hasbro, oh, yeah. um, but failed. And I bet there's a lot of people probably at Wizards that are now thinking, damn it, I wish that materialised. I'd like, I'd, I wish I could say I'm surprised by this news. Um, I'm really not. I I'm not expected mm. a little mm. bit. I expected there would be some more long-term fallout to mm. um, the creative license fiasco because a lot of, at the time mm. there were very heavy rumors going around that um, again Hasbro wasn't really doing so well apart from D and D, but. Um, and that it was felt that D and D was under monetized, mm. um, and we know what's happened in the magic um, side mm. of things. Well, I mean, I don't know if you do, Dan, because I know you've never really had much to do. No, with it, just but... through you. Although I haven't played it now in a while, um, I still am part of many groups uh, that talk about it quite often, and mm. there's been so many crossovers. There was the very famous Lord of the Rings crossover. Mm. Um, there was. There's been Warhammer. There's been D and D crossovers that have, have received varying degrees of success. Um, I'm sure there's been some other crossovers that I've not really paid as much attention to. Um, mm. It just really feels like kind of like trying to squeeze the profits out as much as possible. Um, because I remember at the time when the uh, the uh, the license fiasco happened, uh, the comment sections in a lot of the, the videos and, and posts about it were always full of Magic players going. Told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah there was a lot of that. Um, there was a lot of that. Um, so it's really not surprising, to, considering how successful the, um, or unsuccessful the uh, the license fiasco was, than the, how much of a backlash there mm. was for it, that I, I, I was kind of expecting something like mm. this to happen at, one, at well, some point. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people in the, the know don't seem to think it's related anything to that because pro- it didn't actually damage their profit margins. So m- monetarily, they, that it, I'm sure there was a dip in that yeah. particular, in January, but 
over the year they've they've apparently done pretty well. Uh, I know the movie didn't do quite as well as Hasbro was hoping. I think they were hoping for something massive, but it it didn't materialize. It's a good movie, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoy it. Movie still, but it's like... yeah, it is. It's it's funny to us because we know Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of stuff is isn't. It's just going to go over the heads of of the average audience member. Um, there's a few moments. I always think one of the funnier moments is probably one of the moments that's a bit more universal, which is when they're doing the whole illusion to sneak in at the end, oh, yeah. uh, and his face starts drooping and all that. Um, it's yeah. the idea almost of like lost concentration and. Um, but it's a little more, it's a funnier, silly, goofy moment that I think would be, they could have afforded more of those throughout the uh, the movie, they, they would have been better off. I think, um, oh yeah, I think the movie was fine, I really enjoyed it, but at the same time, um, I think if they were trying, I mean, this is a, to- a different topic really in and of itself, but I think if they were trying to reach a more mainstream audience, mm-hmm. they would have been much better off trying to assimilate the kind of theme of the of the kids playing D D from Stranger Things that was so successful for what mm. it was and maybe trying to look to look at that as a movie thing there. I've no idea what they would have done, how they would have done it. Making movies is not my job. Um, no. no. They had a lot of, of like um Trim- symbiotic success through the Stranger Things yeah, franchise. Stranger Things. My thing with um I think I, I think I would have liked the movie even less had it been essentially kids around the table and then you would have been filming their adventure. Uh, yeah. I think there would have been a certain charm with it, but it would have appealed to my sensibilities less. Um, yeah, to a greater audience, I have no like they could have gone in for the family audience far more. Um, yeah. It is a family movie. I don't. It is definitely a family movie. But I think they could have definitely leaned on that more. And if they wanted to make the money, they should have done that. I mean, I liked it, uh, but I don't think they saw the don't think Hasbro saw the success they wanted, um, and are just laying off. I think a lot of people across the, not just Wizards, yeah. but across Hasbro itself, across the entire well, that's organization. Yeah. So, and it is a, it's a horrible time of year, and I, uh, and it feels, I feel awful for those people, especially because if you are in that toy division. It's the time of year where everyone's buying your toys, but I think I don't. I'm not a business guy. I don't know if I can even comment, but I think Hasbro might just be lagging behind the times a bit. Um, we've only now just got really a good D and D game. We've had D and D games for a long time. You've got your. You've got. You've always had your um. Named after the city. Never. No. Neverwinter. Oh, um, Neverwinter games. Yeah, Neverwinter games. Um, and you've had previous Baldur's Gate games, but nothing's really hit quite like. Not in a long time. Not not quite like that. And most kids are video games are there a lot of time are the toys of today. I assume there are still an audience for toys, and still people want to buy toys. Um, but Hasbro of us are at least I always I always think of them as the Transformers people. Um, <laughs> Well, those movies have been their cost for for sure. I'm sure they made a lot of money off those. A lot of money. But that is the unfortunate news I had to share on this uh, cold, wintry time of year. So we will move on to lighter things. Yes. And we will just, as usual, we're going to do our spell of the week. Um, 
I have a spell. And we're going to do Monster of the Week. Rob has a monster. Not the same in that order. We do roll for it in the usual roll-off. Um, you know what? I'm going to go for something kind of... My, my most festive dice, which are my metal dice, which are red with the uh, sort of silver. <laughs> I think yours are probably a bit more festive than mine. I've gone for uh, a kind of shimmery red, red and dark red one. Almost got a red and gold, that kind mm. of Christmas theme. Um, from one of the, I'm sure most D and D players have probably got a set like this. They very cheap on Amazon. Um, mm. Get multiple sets for quite quite Tenet. cheap in a nice bag. But uh, I've had it a long time. Mm. Let's go. Oh, that was a thud. And oh, that's I've seen that number before. What's that? There? Good or bad? <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> oh. oh, well, I've got a really middling result, so. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I got 12. I got a 2. Oh, bro. Oh, well. I got a 15 last week, a 2 the week before. So I'm like, I'm seeing a 2 again. These <laughs> these dice, because I think because they're so heavy, they don't roll that Is well. Is it metal dice? Yeah, yeah. They don't, because they're so heavy, they, you've got to really put force into it to get them to roll. And that kind of barely rolled. Um, But it is what it is. Controversial dice, metal dice. I'm not a fan, personally. I like the look of so- them. <laughs> I think they do look pretty cool, but uh, it's the thud on the table when they roll. Yeah, a good, good rolling tray for metal dice. But anyway, since I have won, um, I think last week did I make you go first? Uh, yes, monster of the week last week went first. Well, this week I will go first. Okay, to maintain monster My, of the week. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, I've picked. My monster this week, based on Dan's choice last week, because we talked about the uh, the acidic slime last week and how iconic it is. We that's just cube. Oh, cube what I, yeah, acidic slime. Acidic slime. John, that's cube. Sorry, what am I talking? I'm going to write down acidic well, slime cube. to come up with my own ooze. <laughs> Why did I call it that? I don't know. It's not a. One- it is what it is, though. Basically, it's yeah. It's, it's an acidic, acidic slime. And it's a slimy cube. <laughs> yeah. So. Have what you will. I was just being very literal with the with words, I guess. Um, but anyway, we were talking about how it was I, so iconic. It made an appearance in the, the recent D&D movie, which we've just mentioned. Uh, so I've picked Mimic for the same reason. Um, everybody should know what Mimic's are that is in any way experienced, not even in D&D, just in fantasy in general. Um, they have been in many different video games. I knew of them before. I came into contact with D&D purely because of video games like old school Final Fantasies. Um, there are you know, various other video games. I've seen them in board games before now. I've got a few little Mimic Minis. Um, uh, very famously in the Dark Souls genre of games. Um, we all know about what, looking for chests that breathe, that sort of thing. And if you've seen art of D&D, the Light Lords, you might have seen, you've probably seen either a Beholder or, or a mimic, yeah, or, maybe or a dragon, or a dragon. Well, yes, the the dragons in the freaking logo. So it's uh, yeah, it's probably I would probably say it's one of the most five iconic monsters yes. in the game. It is yes. a treasure chest, typically a treasure chest mm. that sentient has a pair of eyes, a big gaping mouth with a large tongue, very sharp teeth. Sometimes they have long, creepy legs and arms, like they do in Dark Souls. Sometimes they they don't. Um, one of the things that I love about mimics is they fit extremely well in any adventure, in any dungeon, 
Um, they don't have a set uh, environment that they like to dwell in, really. Uh, they're a shape changer. And really, they are, they're just, well, it, it says it in the description below, they're imitative mm -hmm. predators, which mm -hmm. means they're predators that imitate aspects of their environment. They're kind of a chameleon hunter. So people have, we, we joked last week about what's the scariest thing you can think of as a mimic. And, you know, we talked about um, socks, shoes, other various things that you might put bodily yes. images in. Yes, and I, and I said ice cubes. Ice cube, that would be, yeah, that would be. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was thinking of that, that for the acidic ooze or the, the gelatinous ooze. Oh, well. it was the gelatinous ooze, wasn't it? I said yeah. for that for. Oh, yes, that's you, you're right. I just edited but, that uh, and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could it could be the 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 tankard that the drink is in could be the mimic. Yeah, okay. Yes. Ice cubes could be ice <laughs> cubes. Uh, uh, mimic teaming up with a with a gelatinous cube. <laughs> quite the uh, quite the horrendous trap. Um, so yeah, mimics they're they're great. They don't have too much of a difficult challenge rating at their base level. You know, no. they're only at two. They have sixty-ish HP, twelve armor class. Uh, they they do they do one bite or one pseudopod attack, which does the same damage at one d eight plus three bludgeoning or one d eight plus three piercing. Um, if they are shape changed into an object, they can stick things to themselves, like grapple it, and they 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 have an advantage to uh, things that they have grappled. <clears throat> but it's a really good thing to just pop in an adventure. Um, if you are having your players in any kind of dungeon, they might even be breaking into a house, uh, like a noble's house, to to look for a magic item, or into a dungeon to, you know, just do the usual thing. Yeah, yeah. Kill some creatures, get some get some loot, uh, save save the princess, whatever it may be. There's no better way than making your players suspicious than knowing that a mimic might be there. That mimic could be a door. That mimic could be a standard treasure chest. Um, all the treasure inside the treasure chest could be mimics. Uh, mm -hmm. There is even a horde mimic, yeah, which yeah, sure. uh, is a more advanced version of the mimic. A challenge rating eight has a few other little abilities, but it is basically a... a... What's the... Uh... Duck McScrooge or whatever his name is. I always just think of, Scrooge, think of his <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. I always think of his swimming pool of, of coins when I think of a hoard. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's that kind of thing, uh, a big hoard of treasure, of coins, um, but it's a, it's, it's a mimic and it's designed to uh, to hunt the, the, the adventurers that might be trying to acquire said said piles of coins and, and so forth and so on. It's not. There's not really a huge amount to talk about with mimics. Um, you know, you could, you could have. I think really the best conversation to have around mimics is what could you have them be? Um, yeah. It's the Christmas episode. They could be presents under a tree if you were running a Christmas one shot with with Christmas themes. They could be the tree itself. Um, it could be the tree itself. Yeah. I I ran recently. Um, in my other group when we were welcoming some new players before we started Curse of Strahd and I wanted to kind of just run a one shot to see how, how they fit within the group, which ultimately was successful and, and that was that was a really great thing. But I ran um, a bit of a Halloween one shot 
where they were going down to some haunted mines. Hmm. Uh, and they fought a... Uh, you know, I mentioned that I had a, an idea where the minecarts were mimics. Yes, yes. Instead of that, they were riding their minecarts um, along the, 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 the kind of roller coaster of mine rails, basically. And at the, as, as part of that encounter, a massive train came up at the side of them on a different set of rails, which was just a giant minecart mimic monster. Yeah. And it had these like cranes that turned into arms and teeth at the front. And okay. yeah, it was, it was, it was great fun. Uh, homebrewed the whole thing, but um, it, you could have a mimic be anything. Yes, you can. Yes. Give it an environment for it to hunt in. Mimic. Mimics are, other than being iconic, obviously. They're they're just really kind of fun things. There's a temptation, and I often, I think it's one of those things. You know, when you're thinking about what you want to do in your sessions, or you're thinking about just D and D in general. Yeah. Like, oh, I should do that, and then when it comes to doing playing the actual session, you then forget all about that idea. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of those with mimics, and the idea of like I just want to have like the mimic, um, stat block available to me at all times just open it so that whenever i just feel like doing something uh funny or silly or just throwing a mimic in there i should just throw a mimic in there um just to either wake players up uh like what we talked about engagement last week to wake them up and get them back to be engaged um or just to have something really silly go on that will just get a good laugh um and I'm happy for anybody watching, of course, to steal that idea of just keep the mimic close to hand. Well, not a literal mimic, because you're going to lose your hand if you keep... But no, and the stat block, you keep it close to hand. Um, there's no, as, as Rob mentioned, there, as well as being the, the horde mimic, uh, which was brought in in, uh, in Fizzbands, which is a larger, huger one. I'm sure we can cover in some detail. Separately, at another point, there is also a juvenile one you can get. That came from Tasha's. There's a giant one. There's a giant one, and there's a, there's a few variants of it you can get from various different books. Um, so the information is available for anybody who's just looking to do, uh, who doesn't want to have to do the work of homebrewing it themselves. It's kind of already been done for you. It's available. Um, Once you see the basic start sheet, anyway, it's, it's fairly easy to go, right, let's up that challenge rating. Let's mm-hmm. give it an extra 50 HP. Let's make it do um, 2d6 plus 5 damage or, you know, maybe give it um, poisonous fangs or whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. Um, what's yeah. the... I don't think... Have you used that many mimics before? Um, I have written mimics into 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 games. Uh, I've never... I don't, I'm trying to think if I've ever thrown one at you specifically. I don't think you have. I feel like I recall doing it, but again, I know that I created before the horde mimic was a thing. I created my essentially the same thing, and yeah. put it in the one shot that we did, which was like at the bank heist. Oh, but we didn't go to that vault, did we? We didn't go to that vault. Um, I did that, and I did where I wanted like smaller mimics, which were all going to be books in a thing, which is in the same thing as well. Um. I don't think I've ever thrown them at you. I've definitely used them in a one-shot that you weren't in. Luke, my brother, was in it. Um, 
because it, and again it was I think I mentioned it before well, I think maybe again last week um was a goblin one shot everybody played goblins. Oh yeah. Like the final boss was a mind flick. I used all the iconic monsters in it. Yeah. I, 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 I asked I asked what people wanted to to play and I was told well we'd never had some of the most iconic monsters. So, oh okay. So I did Gelatinous Cube and then they went into a room and there was chests and they were mimics and then the end boss was a mind flare. Um so I've used it in that capacity. Stuff. It works. It worked. They were just chests, they touched them, they were mimics. Um <laughs> they're adhesive, which is great. Um so you yeah. can get stuck to them. Pseudopodded. Um yeah, I've I've used mimics a few times in various ways. I did a, a Halloween one shot a good few years ago now, which was in a haunted mansion and they it there was a bit of a it wasn't Resident Evil vibe for the bad guys, but for the mansion itself, it had slight Resident Evil vibes. Um, they were they were looking for two keys to get through the door so that they could get up onto the roof to fight the headless horseman boss, basically. Um, yeah, it's the it's the it's the almost like the Doom trope, isn't it? Where you got to get the keys to get to the next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Resident Evil have have always had that kind of puzzle throughout their various games. Um, and I, I think it works for D&D. And one of the rooms that they went in where the key was, there was a uh, a very like uh, ornate dresser with a, a mirror. And in the mirror, they could see there was a ghost sat at the dresser. But they couldn't see it at the dresser. It, it was just in the reflection. And once they started to try and engage with that ghost, it pointed to the corner where there was a large piano. And I put it there purely because one of my players was playing a bard that was... Um, it wasn't just a pianist, but he he was kind of um, a music savant. They could play loads of instruments, mm-hmm. basically, because um, of one of their parents was a, a famous composer or something, if I remember mm-hmm. rightly. Um, so I knew I could get them to play the piano, which they did, and they started playing a gothic uh, theme. And then the, the finger uh, guard, the key guard, sprouted teeth and just slammed down on their fingers while they were playing it. And the piano's legs started like unfolding into big spider limbs, and they they had to fight a giant spider mimic in, in a small room. And yeah, that was great stuff. What was yeah, the mimics are fun. What was the deal with the mirror then? They're just a ghost in a mirror that was wanting to feed the mimic. It was just to make them look at the look at the. <laughs> it was literally just to look look at the piano. Uh, and when once they beat in the mimic. Um, they had to reach through the mirror to get a key that was on the the reflection of the desk. Mm. Um, it didn't it didn't link up that well. I just wanted to scare the shit out of the piano. It wasn't the most genius setup, but it worked it and it, like it, it worked. I enjoyed it. Sounds like it worked. Um, oh, what, what other mimics have I done? Uh, I played in a full. I played as a player in in a in a again. I, it, it wasn't a Halloween-based one-shot, it was just a random one-shot, and there was like a, a mansion that was protected by a magic bubble um, where there was a mad scientist in the basement doing experiments, but the entire house was that we had to work our way through first. It mm. was full of mimics, just absolutely full of mimics. All the furniture was mimics. It took us ages to get through it. <laughs> but I was a barbarian, so I was happy to be doing that. Just cutting your way through it. Just destroying everything. Don't give it a chance to exit. Yeah, that after the first room, uh, the second room, I went in and poked a few things with my axe, and as soon as the first thing sprouted teeth, that was it. Like I just uh, will win through the room. I would just been stabbing everything. Just, just stab, 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 stab. 
I think the wizard set the next room on fire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Wizard I mean, things. it was there. To do, yeah, it was there to. It and that kind of is the effect on your players when you show them mimics because mm. you're saying to them anything could be this creature mm -hmm. and I've caught you with it once now and that then brings me on to my next amazing point is if you want to really mess with your players and they are in a dungeon and you want a standard chest just a chest just a big wooden chest decorative gems encrusted gold rims whatever nice padlock give that chest don't lock it put something nice in it but give it an illusion protecting it that makes it look like it's breathing i was gonna say you you make a chest that looks like a mimic so you can look yeah. like it's got teeth and eyes and then they just they will avoid it <laughs> yeah just looks like a sleeping mimic they're like well i'm not opening that yeah because like well the funny thing about the mimic right is everyone does kind of have this weird fear of a mimic yeah they aren't that tough no, it can not. be killed quite easily but people it's the surprise it's the people nobody likes to feel like you've got tricked but I think, yeah i mean you know i'm like as a dm i love tricking players or, or throwing players off and the twists galore um so mimics are right on my i love mimics i love um doppelgangers and all manner of shapeshifters that i really like um but we will move on from monster of the week that being the mimic and we will move on and we'll do my spell of the week. Yeah. This spell is a cornerstone of your, generally your healing classes. So your clerics uh, are your, your generally the ones, your clerics and your, I think clerics and druids in my head. Um, though it's apparently not as normal druid one. Uh, but I think that it was, it was made a, an actual druid in, uh, in Tasha's, right? I'm yes. sure it yeah, became it an, a full full druid thing, despite what D&D &D Beyond says. Um, but it is a kind of cornerstone of your healers, and that is Revivify. Which, of course, can be a mouthful, as it doesn't seem like the most obvious word for a spell. <laughs> but um, Revivify... Revive if it. Hmm? Revive if it, yeah. Uh, Revivify is the lowest level resurrection spell. If someone if someone fails all their death saves or is instant killed and they're dead, they can be revivified. They can be brought back, resurrected, revitalized, if you will, by uh, this spell as long as it is done within a minute of the death. So it's a quick, get to it quickly, sort of don't mess around sort of uh, spell. I always think it's quite odd that it is a necromancy spell, by the way. <laughs> always like, I just even though yes, I get it, you're raising something from the dead. Um, but then when you look at like the higher, when you go up to the higher level ones that give you more time and have uh, less restrictions on them, um, one's called raise dead. You do yes. it all the time. I've done it. People do it where they get it confused with animate dead because they're yes. both ne they're both necromancy spells. Technically... I do it because of a Magic the Gathering card because there was a Magic the Gathering card called raise dead. Yeah. Um, Riverfy, I think, though, however, is um, pretty obvious what it is, what it does, from the sound of things. But uh, the, the short and sweet of it is, yes, it really brings you back as long as you, the person, you or the person you died has only been dead less than a minute. It brings you back with a single hit point. 
Um, and the basically the creature can be brought back if it has died of old age, or if it's missing any body parts. Good thing for your DM to remember if you want to permanent kill somebody, take their head or a limb <laughs> yeah. or something. Take remove something. Um, that's usually the way to go about it. Uh, and probably one of the most important parts of this spell, which becomes, uh, <laughs> I think, one of the biggest factors in most people's shopping sessions, is the diamonds worth 300 gold pieces, uh, which the spell does consume, which is a lot of coinage, but it is kind of like worth it, in my opinion, um, yeah, because you're bringing someone back from the dead. Um, I actually don't. My personal opinion on Vivify is actually it's not really enough. It kind of makes it seem cheap. When you start getting into the economy of, of D&D worlds, when you can afford, like, how much, like you can afford things that are less powerful than a Vivify spell. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm saying it wrong. You can spend, like, a thousand gold on, like, a plus one sword. That's more than it costs to bring someone's life back. Uh, the balance yeah. of the economy is really off there. Um, well, so, or I usually I can tell if you've got an opinion, Rob, give it for a move. I think to it, play more. the DM controls the economy. Yes, the DM decides how much three hundred gold really is worth mm-hmm. uh, in the game. Like, it's a level five spell, so players aren't getting it until they're entering tier two play. Realistically, mm-hmm. um, three five is a third level. Sorry, when I say level five, I mean you're getting it at level five okay. if you're a main character. I yes. didn't, I didn't, yeah, I mean I'm talking about tiers of play rather than yes, yes, level yes. of the spell. Sorry to confuse the subject there. It's a third level spell. Most, all, most well, all main casters get third level spells at level five. Um, so they're not going to be like starting the game having it, and they and if you're starting most camp, most book campaigns start on the low end. Um, they're not gonna. And it also really depends on the campaign itself. Like, look at Curse of Strahd. Like, there wasn't much use for money in that campaign because there's not that many shops. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're running a campaign where your players are going out into the field and they're just adventuring, then realistically, gold is meaningless. So mm-hmm. they want to be mostly finding magic items. So you're going to be choosing what they find. For the most part, mm. um, so the value of things is kind of inconsequential in that respect. They're gonna if they're gonna find diamonds, they're gonna find them. If they're not, they're not, and it's up to kind of the DM to really control that. In a world like Stormia, where we're in a gigantic city, and there is all kinds of shops, and where it's difficult, because we're playing at a fairly high level. We're playing at level ten, mm. and I think that's sometimes problematic for our campaign because it mm. means that you have to make the job the 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 way the things that we do the the fights that we end up having make sense for our level mm. but you don't want to trivialize our level because we are level 10 so mm. it's there's a lot of things going on there that's, that's not the easiest to balance in the world but at the same time uh i don't know i'm i, I think i'm quite a generous dm because if players want, to, want to have revivify i'm like you you can have it like if i will, I will f- freely give one diamond yes um quite easy but that don't mean that 
if they use that diamond, I'm going to always give them another one really easily as well. And I typically, unless the players really, really look for it, I'm never going to give more than one diamond at a time. So I think that controls um, things fairly well there because not more than one player can't die at a time, if that makes sense, or the death will be permanent. Yeah, you did it. You did that in Curse of Strahd, where you managed to. You basically never really had more than one diamond at a time, really. Um, I remember that we had to. We had the time where we had the raise, was it raise dead or revivify scroll, that we used yes. to uh, to bring back Duncan, I think, so our bar. Yeah. That uh, was done because you get that scroll from a certain NPC, which I won't name. And we had, and we had that. Of course, we didn't have, by the rules, a cleric, or a paladin, an artificer, uh, or uh, a druid to, um, or or a warlock if it's the right type uh, of warlock, um, to actually do it. So we, you were very generous, and I would have ruled the same. To be honest, allowed pretty much any of the spellcasters to. To do it because it was from a spell scroll. Oh yeah, I, that's that's a different discussion in itself. But it I'm is. always on the side of let 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 any spellcaster use a scroll. Anybody else just do an arcane check to see if yeah. you can understand the scroll and then do it. Yeah, um, that's fair. Um, but yeah, the 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 problem I think with me is that um, I say I associate revivify, raise dead, resurrection, and, and true resurrection um, with. Um, not with the cost. The cost of the diamond, yeah, it's three hundred gold pieces. A low, uh, if you're, you know, if you start it as a level one character, the likelihood is you're going to have the money to buy it by the time you get this spell because you'll progress. If you're starting at higher levels, so less less likely to have uh, the access to that coinage, but depending on the generosity of your your dungeon master. Um, but it's more the cost from a narrative standpoint or a uh, the value of life, yeah, to me. Because um, if you were to say how much is your life worth, you're probably going to say more than three hundred pounds, or three hundred dollars, or pesos, or whatever. Well, yeah. <laughs> you're going to say America, that's for sure. Yeah, you're you're going to say that it's worth more than three hundred. So it feels a bit like okay, well, okay, I'm I'm going to accept three hundred. I'm going to go with the rules as written. Three hundred gold pieces for a diamond. I do have thing currently in Stormir within our world where the diamond has a certain value, but what it's sold at might not necessarily match the value of the diamond because you know people are profiteering. Capitalism. Um I mean but, we are also in a city with it its mines are pretty much dry yes. and it's floating over an ocean. So yes. like where the fuck the diamonds come from? Especially yeah. since since the spell consumes them. So mm-hmm. I get it. I'm not complaining about that. No, I, no, no, I that, just I know. Yeah. So, but my I just to make the point there that the DM kind of whatever the situation mm-hmm. really controls the, the the likelihood of the players yeah. getting one. My my I think my thinking all comes from the fact that if everyone starts dying and it's so easy because you've got so much money, as it's coming in Dungeons and Dragons by certain levels, you're just bringing like people are dying in fights and you're bringing them back every fight and all this. Death is no longer a challenge. It's no longer a threat. You don't yeah. care if you fail your death save. Death save should be one of the most anxious parts of a fight or any encounter. But it can, that, that that's taken away. This was when we uh, we bring up every single week, but it's not a surprise because it is critical role and they are the biggest um, 
live show, <laughs> live actual play show in the world. But they have that they have that thing where like every, I think by the end of campaign when everybody had been revivified at some point, um, and some of them twice, um, and it's good to see them in that case matt mercer had knew that was going to be a thing because he obviously knew his players had ridiculous amounts of money nothing yeah. was really outside of it despite what how uh laura bailey plays kind of very conservative with her coin um they do often have quite a lot of money especially in campaign one less so in two um but they still have coin um he puts a he he introduces another mechanic which I really quite like. Not quite the same as how I'm going to play. Nobody's died in Storm yet, so no one. I'll keep that as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, yet. Um. Yes. But he, the way he does it is that essentially your first time is kind of free. You die. You revivide. Costs you that diamond. Or diamonds doesn't have to be a single diamond. Diamonds. That's fine. The um. I think then it becomes a second, and I think it's a second and like on, there has an additional challenge involved, where you yeah. basically have to, like, call the soul back to the body. You have to try different things, like offer things, or if you're a charisma character, you can try and, like, persuade the soul to come back, like, talking to the person's corpse and trying to get the soul to come back. Um, various different things. There's been some great moments in Critical World because of that, and I think what it did always did was create this idea of, like, uh, it created more consequence to death because there's always that risk. Problem is, they always succeeded. Uh, it's different with critical role, though, isn't it? Because they, they got also, viewers as well. Yeah, they all they... got viewers, but they also didn't die too too often. To be honest with you, it wasn't like every fight they were dying. Um, so it's forgivable. But then again, I always think to, to the Molly death was probably one of the most impactful moments of any of their entire run of of campaigns. And he died. They had no cleric. No, I don't think even at that time. Well, they had a cleric, but I don't think they had diamonds. No, she wasn't. She wasn't in the fight. She'd been kidnapped. Oh, yeah, she was in the box, wasn't she? So, but I don't think she was even high enough level at that point to be able to. Do, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe around that level. But I can't he. It's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time since I watched it. But that's one of my. That's one of the moments that really got me stuck into, to critical role because it had a really big impact. And it was a death, and I don't. I think without the threat of death for your characters, unless that's kind of the vibe you're going for, and you want it to be kind of just really loose, and you're not too bothered about having that, um, that as a potential occurrence. If that's just you know, you kind of have this big epic thing where life and death is nothing to worry about because people are brought back all the time, and it's just a part of the world. That's fine. Um, I like death to mean something. Yeah, I do. I do. I do want death to mean something, and I think this is definitely a bigger discussion than just the simply the spell revivify. But I think it is. Um, at the same time, mm. um, if we're looking at some of our favourite motivations, um, some of our favourite like movies, video games, character motivations, that sort of thing, mm. death is always quite heavily interlinked with those. Let's look at arguably the most popular and famous final fantasy is seven and i would always argue because one of the main characters dies in it um it's it's a hugely impactful scene hmm. um you can't play that music to me now without me having a wave of emotion and nostalgia um it's it's just 
you always will remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look at, you know, look at but my what, favorite what game I've series done. of all time, Mass Effect. Does the same thing. Morden, yeah, with Morden's what, death. Yeah, and especially if you've done the extra, the extra dialogues so that he actually is it a rhyme that he sings to himself or something while he works or? yeah it's from uh oh, I mean, you can um, make it way more emotional it, if you've done the right conversation uh, what's it called in costello it's a it's a famous like uh musical thing isn't it it's like a yeah and in the set in the second game he's you can get the dialogue options and he tells you how he how he how he um how he would sing that and he learned that it's like a, a, a salarian scientist version of it yeah it's yeah. impactful man means a lot. It does, yeah. And like going back to what you were saying about um going back to what you were saying about coaxing the soul back to the body. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting thing that you've said because I every character I make, I already know if they would accept revivification being revived, can't say the words. If they would accept a revivication mm. or not. Arrakis, who you know he, uh, without even remembering the plot of Gladiator, I kind of made him a bit of a mm-hmm. gladiator-themed character, didn't I? You know, his, his, his wife, son and daughter had been brutally murdered by cultists for the, the god of lies and deceit and torture mm-hmm. and basically the god of evil mm-hmm. uh, in your world. Um, I didn't play him too too strongly linked to that because yeah. that was many years ago in his past because I didn't want to I didn't want to go in there with a tragic character yeah. right off the bat. Of course then you then you just coincidentally made the, the yeah. big bad of the campaign <laughs> that god uh the champion of that god and I'm like okay well I guess we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be looking at, at Narakis under a bit more of a lens than I expected. But for that reason, if he'd have died at any point, it really would have depended on what you said happened to him when he crossed over to the spirit world whether he would have accepted the call to come back to his mm-hmm. to his newfound family yes um if you'd have basically presented him with the fields of elysium where he walked through the the yellow fields of agriculture and found his his homestead that has as he had built it on the plains of what what was the continent called that he was from Atia. Atia. Um and this sort of found his 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 wife and his daughter and his son mm-hmm. just there waiting for him. Would he go back or would he fuck? No. He well, had found his peace. Yeah. The thing the because you're talking about this, the funny thing with the revivify, it doesn't stipulate that. It it's doesn't, not, and I hate that about it. It's only until you get to Raise Dead and, and the later ones that it actually becomes like, a, they're literally, if you look at Raise Dead, if the creature's soul is both willing and at liberty to rejoin the body, the creature returns to life with one hit point. That does not, that is not written with Revivify. Revivify just, it's basically a defibrillator, right? It's a, it, just it is, yeah, it is. Yeah. You've got a minute to do it. Um, for that very reason as well, it's great to go like this to your players, and I have done it in the past, and you literally just go, Okay, time's ticking. What are you doing? <laughs> DMs do that to your players. Yeah, yeah. The amount of anxiety, sorry, Steph, but the amount of anxiety you will cause is <laughs> chef's kiss. Um, I um, hope none of Strad players see that because that might happen again. No, you've given me a really good idea, though. Um, um, there's uh, not quite the same, but a really good idea. I might tell you after just for to, for amusement. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but the uh, yeah, um, that's River of Fire. We uh, we haven't talked directly about it because there isn't actually really too much to talk about. Is I is. just for me, I want to talk about it because of the the greater discussion at play with regards to death. Um, it's it's a pretty simple spell for what it is. Um, and as I said, your clerics, your paladins, your artifices, life domain, grave domain, circle of wildfire, and celest and celestial um. Warlocks, they are the ones that are on the D&D Beyond, but I'm pretty certain any druid can also get it. It's not specific. Any druid, yeah. Um, which probably also mean, means that there's others, but it doesn't really matter. Um, if you don't have it, a, a person in your party with it, yeah, might, well, I'll say it, it's going to suck for you, but it might even make it better because it, it increases the tension. But we will move on from talking about Reverify. And we're going to talk to bring us into a lighter subject from death <laughs> on this jolly time of year, this festive time of year. We're going to talk about Christmas and we're going to talk it's a about. Time of rebirth, What's that? A time of birth and rebirth, I suppose you can say. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it's. Uh, Wait, carry on. Saturnalia, right? Yeah. Uh, and all this sort of stuff. Um, we're going to be doing just a bit of general discussion with regards to how we would make a Christmas venture. It's the best way to put it. Or say a campaign, because campaign is a long form uh, series of adventures where the adventure kind of covers everything, I think. Yeah. Including your one shots and stuff, or short campaigns. Um, so I was thinking, you know, generally speaking, being that it is Christmas, I would always lean on a very much more of a, a comedic tone. I would target a comedic tone, at least with for the most part. I'm probably going to use Santa. I'm probably going to use elves and reindeers and all these different things because they're already magical and they're already very Christmassy. Um, so I, and then I would just go, well, Santa is basically just like some sort of archfey or yeah uh, and these elves well we've already got gnomes don't we we already have gnomes got those and there's no reason of rangers can't be magical and no talk reason. and can't be mix <laughs> <laughs> they can't be it's an inanimate object for a mimic um someone fair santa's a druid yeah <laughs> got a good how would you think a really go. funny story would be you you're uh you're somehow all teleported to the North Pole where Mrs. Claus wants you to try and find Santa. He hasn't left his workshop, but he's gone missing. And you're going to find him and he's just been eaten by a mimic. <laughs> <He just is>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, so on the subject of Christmas adventures, there are mm. so many Christmas movies mm. uh, for you to... Even when I say movies, I don't just mean movies and such. I mean, like, you know, look at the classics. Look at Scrooge. You know, mm. those sorts of um, Dickensian start. Is Scrooge Dickens? Yeah. Christmas yeah, Carol? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very kind of Dickensian style classic stories um, have very good kind of moral compass teaching points. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you wanted to go something a bit more comedic, one of my favourite Christmas films is Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, I watched it this year while I was putting the tree up. Did you? <laughs> I just always love that, and I, it brings back such great memories of of um, just randomly this one time I was uh, on the the mic to um, I think it was Gareth um, 
sleep in my other D&D group, uh, just playing video games, and Kaylee was eating a cookie, and it was Christmas, and we just watched the film, and I was just like, Kaylee, put that cookie down, come on, it's Christmas, we got to go. And I was just, yeah, just, yeah, any, 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 any excuse to, to use an Arnie voice, I'm, I'm always down with. Um, I've definitely run at least one oh, shot. I just saw like, combining Arnie movies to make, to, but bring the story of Jingle all the way, and it's just Conan the Barbarian. Uh, <laughs> uh, Crimson, Crimson uh, Christopher, or something like that, or Crimson <laughs> Nick. <laughs> just yeah, just absolutely slaying. No, it. I, I think generally speaking, if you're going to make something that's Christmassy, you're probably going to be doing a one shot, two shot, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we're going to look at it from like yeah, trying to be kind of. Practical with it, pragmatic with it. It's going to be maybe two fights, maybe three at a push. If you're going for like a really easy, quick starter one, then and then you you know build it up to a larger big fight. Um, Rob has run a Christmas one for us before. Yeah. Uh, that involved Krampus. He did. Yeah, I do love a bit of Krampus. So the Krampus is always a go-to if you want to. There's plenty of monsters you can use out there, especially in the demon or devil category, if you want to create your own Krampus. Uh, you using... guys actually rescued Krampus as well, so we that was a nice little twist. You we rescued rescue. him from um, the Raven Queen? kind of the Raven Queen, or the champion mm-hmm. of the Raven Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a lot of fun, because we rode a sled and everything, like, on a hill that we put, that I pushed down a hill, and I remember that, that was fun. Um, yeah, there's, lo- there's so much Christmas. Like, if you want to go proper heavy on the heavy-handed on the Christmas theming, Session Zero is already good, but you're not going to generally do one for a one-shot. Well, gen- you're not going to do one for a one-shot. Um, but you should still try and have an understanding of your players going into it. And if you think your players are going to prefer more of a horror theme, a uh, Christmas thing, there is plenty of opportunity to have, as we said, mimics that are Christmas trees. Or, you know, spooky things, spooky, go with a Christmas carol. You've got the ghosts of Christmas past and, and yeah. present and future and all those spooky ghosts. Um, or lean on the whole uh, Nightmare Before Christmas thing and you can definitely make the whole assortment of characters you can choose from if you want to use popular culture. Gremlins. As a, gremlins? Yeah, if you want to have gremlins. Um, Goblins instead of gremlins or what, I don't know, yeah, whatever. There might be a gremlins. So I definitely created a gremlin one yeah. simply to have one. But... Yeah, you probably would use goblins, I think, as your goblins are imps. As your basis, yeah. But uh, I mean, you don't need a session zero, but it's very easy to just if you are if you have a consistent group already to just mm. say, like guys, it's that time of year. Um, it's a good excuse actually um, in practice. Mm-hmm. Less so with our group because our group is really consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know that. Um, Next week, we're going to probably be missing Joe, but mm. we, we typically will have enough players to play on if one's missing. So, yes. like, you you know, there's people go to work Christmas dues and stuff like that, but it doesn't typically stop us playing. Um, whereas my other group has sometimes struggled a little bit, but I think this year we're actually going to be a bit more consistent because mm. we've taken on... I, I specifically tried to get a bit more of a, of a, a larger group mm. so that because the strad could be a little bit more... Or, sorry, a bit less interrupted... But regardless of what your group runs like, take the opportunity if only some of your players are going to be available at any time and you, you don't want to at least miss D&D over Christmas to say, right, guys, those of you that are available on whatever date, let's do a one-shot. 
we'll do it Christmas themed. And just take the opportunity to just say, do you guys want, uh, do you want to use existing characters and have them just kind of spirited off into the Christmas adventure and then promptly placed back and either it all be a dream or it all be a, a magic snow globe that's just zipped them away to an adventure or a god that's just come in and plonked them somewhere else or or do you want to make some comical characters or some some mm -hmm. cool characters and it's, it's really easy to just say what level do you want to play at do you want to play at the kind of level we're already playing at do you want it comedy themed do you want it do you want a bit of a spooky one a bit of a mm -hmm. kind of fireside horror story mm -hmm. christmas christmas spooky tale which is a bit dickensian bit victorian mm -hmm. how about this for a question then if you were to play in a Christmas one shot and you were told to make a very Christmassy character, like similar to the improv questions we've come up with before, I suppose, what sort of character would you create? Sit with Ooh. Robin, you know, goofy, kind of silly Christmas story. Um, probably, you know, may maybe involving Santa Claus, Father Christmas, whatever you want to call him, old jolly Saint Nick. There's a few I could play. There, there is absolutely a few I could play. Um, I could play um, a gnome artificer, who is is of quite an obvious, and you can tell going already. They're a toy maker. They work in Santa's workshop, or whoever's workshop, who, mm -hmm. whoever represents Saint Nicholas in your D and D world. If, mm -hmm. if you're not using typical real world. Yeah, mythology. Um, that's a nice, easy one. Um, obviously, all, all you know, I would probably go with if I was doing that. Probably the artillerist. Mm -hmm. um, just have my gun shooting out um, presents, and when I would use the flamethrower variant, it'd just be like a hot glue gun from when I was assembling toys and stuff like <laughs> that. You know, like having that kind of themed. Um, I wouldn't really may put too much more considerations into it than that and I'd kind of just I'd play it quite reactive to the other players in the adventure um, another one that I've, I've just thought of now is definitely um, just a carol singer just a bard that's a carol singer and you could just really just constantly be singing carols to your players and if you're the kind of person that likes to be a bit of a not a, not a spotlight hog in a bad way but you know kind of is really happy to involve yourself with the role play and, and be a bit animated, then that could be a really, really good option. Um, being a bit more of a, of a general vibe, that would depend on the camp on not campaign, sorry, on the one shot. So like mm. if we were going with a bit more of a kind of Victorian Christmas um, horror story, I would maybe go with the, is it the spirit medium bard or whatever it was called? The one yeah. out of uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Um, that is a bit more of a tarot reader or something. Yeah, college um, spirits. College spirits. Um, maybe, maybe if it was a bit of a uh, a storyteller, maybe the College of Whispers, or I don't know. There's, there's mm. all kinds I could really, really go with for that. Um, or if I really just wanted to be, probably one of one of both of our favourites character archetypes is big dude go smashy smash. Um, I would literally just get a barbarian with the new um, Path of the Giants mm. uh, one from, uh, is it Bigby Presents? Yeah. The one that gets massive when they rage yeah. um, and can throw things um, and just have them as Krampus. 
I was thinking about well, how could I make the Grinch? Yeah, still in presence. But then I was kind of like, he sings and rhymes a lot because it's. Um, True, and, I, yeah. and I was thinking, oh, you could be a bard of some kind. That also kind of works. Um, yeah, because bards get expert anyway, so you could take the expert in in much more rogue rogue like qualities. Yeah. Um, definitely, I know I would normally say I would look for multiclassing in that, but if you're going with the bard, you definitely don't need to. No. Um, and I, yeah, I was just thinking the Grinch, or um, yeah, if I was playing like a Santa's kind of elf thing, so being like a gnome. I was thinking, ah, oh, be like you could be like a cleric, um, and you know Santa would be your your god, or you go warlock and be like a celestial warlock, and again Santa is your is your is your is your thing. The paladin, so that you can do fine steed and get Rudolph to ride around. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, just be Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a paladin, right? <laughs> yeah, of course he is. <laughs> Both of. Uh... What oath would Santa be? Oh, now let me bring. I'm gonna look up the paladin oaths. The oath of one. the ancients. Uh, uh, ancients. Uh, yeah, maybe. Devotion. He's pretty devoted. Yeah, that's just a good sort of catch-all one. Though is the oath of devotion. So I, I, I always look for others. Uh, crown. Would be conquest. I don't think. Redemption. I mean, it, it could be redemption. Because redemption are the ones that are like the peaceful ones, right? Only to yeah, he, didn't, he wouldn't necessarily need to be redeeming himself, but he would still mm. be uh, quite uh, what's the word when you're non-violent? Pacifist. Pacifistic. Thank you. <laughs> but yes, I think you can have a lot of fun being kind of goofy with all the different classes. And if you haven't learned anything yet from from watching us when we talk about these things, flavor. It's such a big part of D and D. Everyone gets bogged down and caught up in the rules, and there is so much you can do. It's like if someone comes to you and goes, "I want to play X. I want to play this character from this thing. Uh, how do I make that happen?" A lot of time, that's just flavor. Like, yes, flavor. Very much. There'd be a couple of classes that might might work better, but like it's flavor. A lot of time, like even if you, like, I'm, I don't know what's come, why it's come to me, but there are characters, in, for example. Um, the last airbender avatar the last airbender right and you automatically go monk because it's all about that sort of monkey thing monkey things <laughs> monk things uh, yes. and there is a monk a flying monkey thing in it but uh i can't remember what it's called um but the um they're all monks basically but there's no reason you couldn't just switch that over and be any other class you wanted to if you want to try and create it to make it work uh, i was yeah. trying to choose something that was very specific seems like it would be this but you don't if you don't want to play a monk you can still play that sort of character in a different class it's always available to you um you can be a monk but not be a monk as well as i think if you want to yeah, be yeah. a monk by flavor but not a monk by like class you can also do that <laughs> um I've, I've been a monk that i've i've played a monk that wasn't really you know, didn't have a monastery, didn't have a dojo, didn't really like. I mm. I played a, a a dampier that was the mercy oh, yeah. way of the mercy monk, and the necrotic damage that he did extra was just kind of similar to like mm. the typical vampire rules, and the healing was very much that classic trope of um, biting the wrist and healing people with mm -hmm. the vampiric blood. Like, it, yeah, you. you 
and his his natural monk speed and agility would just come from that's just pretty stereotypic vampire stuff. So yeah. you know, but uh, we will call that there for this episode of the awkwardly big dice podcast. You've been listening to Dan and Rob talk about all things D and D and Christmas, though very little really about Christmas. <laughs> we wore hats. Happy Chrysler. Uh, but I hope everyone has a good Christmas. Uh, there will be another. I believe there's another one between uh, Christmas and New Year. Uh, we will have a so. podcast then as well. All going well. Um, but as usual, give us a like, subscribe, hit that bell icon to get notifications. Go and check us out on all the different social media platforms that we're on. Uh, you can find them all in the, in the description. And until next time, I hope all your dice roll 20s. We'll see you. Even you, Joe, since it's Christmas. <laughs> Even Joe, but only on Christmas. <laughs>